If you'll take your Bible with me today and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, since this is about our students and about our teachers, I want to talk about wisdom. I want to talk about the wisdom of the cross. And we're going to read beginning in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read through verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can just listen carefully and you'll be able to understand it. And if you have a Bible, you can maybe share with somebody next to you that doesn't have one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer or the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You might want to circle that little phrase, the wisdom of this world. For since in the wisdom of God, you want to circle that phrase, the wisdom of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God, if there were such a thing, he's speaking in a, hyperbol- in a hyperbolic way, just a, a, an exaggerated way, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray together. Father, we pray today that as we think about the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God, and we see them contrasted, especially in the realm of how a person is made right with God and has eternal life after this life, I pray, Lord, that you'll give us understanding. I pray that you'll open our ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to us. Lord, maybe there'll be somebody today who'll hear this message and their life will be changed for eternity. Lord, I pray that to be so. In your name I pray. Amen. In the first two chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul, who is the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. And he contrasts these two kinds of wisdom. When I talk about the wisdom of, of man or the wisdom of God, we're talking about a worldview. A worldview is a perspective through which you see and interpret the world around you. And everybody has a worldview. You may have cobbled together your worldview from a lot of different ideas and brought together and made up something that is now your worldview. But the fact of the matter is everybody has a worldview. It's how you understand the world. It's how you look at the world. And so when he talks here about the wisdom of God and the wisdom of, uh, of man, he's talking about the worldview, how we view things from God's perspective, how we view things from man's perspective, how we interpret things from God's perspective, and how we interpret things from man's perspective. And he, he contrasts these two here. And the truth of the matter is, if we were to spend a good bit of time in this particular chapter, you would discover that there's a lot of contrasts between these two kinds of wisdom. One of them is humanistic, the wisdom of man. Man is at the center of that wisdom. The other is theistic. 
Uh, it's the wisdom of God, and God is at the center of that, of that wisdom. And there's such distinction between those two that when you follow them through, look at them logically, and follow them through, I mean, in just about every area of life, you will discover that the wisdom of God is distinctly different than the wisdom of man. And the wisdom of man distinctly different than the wisdom of God. And so there's a lot of ways in which we could contrast those two. But we're going to contrast them in respect to our eternal destiny. Uh, as, as it relates to our own personal salvation. Now maybe you've come to this service or you're watching the service and you don't believe there is a God. Uh, you don't believe in life after this life. And that's okay. I hope you'll listen. I hope you'll stay with me. I hope you'll be a part of this service. Not check out and, and just listen for a few minutes and see if something I say doesn't make sense to you as we continue through, th- through this message today. And, you know, a lot of people who say they're atheists really aren't atheists at all. They're agnostics. And the reason I say that is this, if you were to take somebody who says, I'm an atheist, next time, just draw a great big circle on a piece of paper and say that this is a, a circle that represents all the knowledge there is in the world. All knowledge is represented by this circle. And then just hand them the pen or the, paper or the pencil and ask them, now, how much of this knowledge do you possess? And almost inevitably, they'll draw a little, si- a little uh, section of, of it off. They'll pie shape a little section of it off. And, and then you'll look at them and say, you know what? In other words, you're telling me this is how much of this overall knowledge you have. So there's a lot of things that you don't know. So you can't say for certain there is no God. Well, no. No, I can't say there is no God for certain because I don't have all of that knowledge at my disposal. You see, most people are agnostics. They're not really atheists. They don't, it's, it's a matter of uh, they just haven't thought it through. Because the reality is they don't have all knowledge. And until you have all knowledge to be able to say, I know everything there is to know so that you can state, uh, you can state definitively there is no God. Unless you have all knowledge to be able to state that, you, you can't state it uh, except as a belief. It's what I believe. So, so maybe you've come to the room and, and you thought you were an atheist, but really you're an agnostic. I want you to follow me through, and I want to try to be as logical as I can possibly be as we contrast what what the Bible says here is the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is theistic. God is at the center. The wisdom of man is, is humanistic. Man is at the center. And they are distinctly different in many areas, but especially as it relates to what happens after this life. And the fact of the matter is most people I talk to believe that there's something more than this life. That they don't know what it is. They aren't sure that anybody can know what it is. But they believe that there is more than just this life. They believe there's more than just happenstance when it comes to, 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 the, to the universe around us. They believe there had to have been some kind of a creator, some kind of an architect. It didn't just happen this way. There had to be somebody who was guiding and directing it and who was bringing it about. I mean, everything in life has to have an architect, doesn't it? Everything has to have a designer, doesn't it? And so it's logical in their minds to think, you know, there has to be something or someone. I just don't know who it is. I just don't know what it is. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're in that agnostic group. Maybe you thought you were an atheist. Maybe you're in that group. You're just not sure what it is, but you believe there's something else out there. I want you to think for a few minutes with me about the contrasting of the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of the cross. 
and especially how it relates to what happens after this life and where we spend eternity after this life. Sometimes when we think about this, we we think about the wisdom of the cross, and that's where we're going to focus most of our attention, the wisdom of the cross. Because at the heart of the wisdom of God, this theistic worldview, at the heart of it is what's called here the message of the cross. Paul says we preach Christ crucified. The message of the cross is at the heart of it. But that's not where most people think. Most people, when it comes to the matter of what comes after, what potentially comes after this life, they think of it in this term, these terms, not the terms of the cross. They think of it in the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of man, and it goes something like this. There's, there's a grand scale somewhere, uh, the scales of justice, if you will, somewhere. And on one side of the scales are placed all of the things that we do that are bad, all the evil, all the wrong motivations, all the things that we should never have said, all the things that we should never have done. And they're all placed on that side of the scale. So that for the rest of our lives, what our task is, is to outwork the bad that we've done, to do enough good, to be a good enough person, to be an honorable enough individual, so that ultimately what we can do is on the other side of that scale, we can put enough good deeds on that scale to tip it in our favor. And maybe, just maybe, if there is a God and there is a life after this life, if we can tip it in our favor, God will see that and God will say, you know what, you've done really, really good, you've worked really hard, and so here's the thing, I'm going to let you come into heaven to be with me. Now, that's, that's logical for most people when it comes to thinking. Uh, I mean, in life, is it that's the way we, we, we live our lives? Uh, we live our lives working for what we get. At the end of the week, the end of the, every two weeks, at the end of the month, you get a paycheck for the work that you've rendered. And so it only seems logical to us in the, in the wisdom of man that's humanistic. It, it seems logical to us that if... I've got to get into heaven, then I've got to do enough good things to get into heaven that'll outdo the bad things that I potentially will do or have done in my life so that God will see that I'm really trying to be good and God will let me into heaven. And that's how most people think. If you stop the average person on the street and you said, you know, if there is a heaven, how do you think you'd get there? The average person will tell you, I think you've got to, earn, you've got to work your way there. You've got to earn uh, your, your place in heaven. You've you got to be good enough to get into that place. But in the process of making that statement in what's going to be called the wisdom of man, this humanistic approach to life after this life, in the process of, of saying that, they haven't thought it through logically, and most have never been presented with the other view, the wisdom of the, of the cross, the wisdom of God that is theistic. That is God-centered at its approach. So if you're writing things down, here's some things you want to write down. First of all, the wisdom of the cross, that is the wisdom of God, does something that the wisdom of man can never do, and that is it erases sin forever. Now think with me for a moment. In the wisdom of man that's humanistic, that says, logically thinking, we work hard all week long to get a paycheck at the end of the week, so whatever we're going to get at the end of life has got to be something that we work for and that we do in order to achieve and to accomplish and to be rewarded at the end. That's the way we think about it, but I want you, I want you to think about this for a moment. If that system is true, here's what it means. It means that you will never, ever be able to get away from the sins, the failures, and the evils of your life. It means like a cloud, they will hover over you everywhere you go. 
It means guilt will go with you all the time. It means that when you look in the rearview mirror of your life, what you inevitably and always will see are those things that you have done that you wish you had never done, those things you said that you wish you had never said, because in the wisdom of man, that humanistic approach that seems so logical because we've got to earn it, in that humanistic approach is the reality that there is no forgiveness of sins. It's a little bit like having these scales. And though you might do enough things to tip the scales in your favor, the fact is, on the other side of those scales will always be the evil works or the things that you do that you simply cannot escape. You are that person, even if you've done enough good to outwork it, you still are that person. And that's the wisdom of man. It seems so logical. Everybody thinks about it and says, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me. Whatever I'm going to get, I've got to earn it, so I've got to be good enough in order to get into heaven. But they don't stop and think about the consequences of this humanistic system that while you may be doing some good things, it does nothing to remove your sin from you. It is always present with you. That guilt goes with you everywhere. But think for a moment about the wisdom of God, which is centered in the cross, the wisdom of the cross. Do you know what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary? On the cross of Calvary, God took your sins and mine and put them on his son, and Jesus became sin for us. And God in his righteous wrath, executed his wrath against mankind's sin on the only sinless person who's ever lived, Jesus Christ. And now when we come to Jesus Christ, he doesn't just, he, he doesn't just give us something and leave what's there. He erases our sin from us forever, never to be remembered against us ever again. God says, I'll never bring it up to you again. It's gone. It's forgiven forever. And that, that's a distinction. In the wisdom of man, it's humanistic. It says you've got to earn it. You've got to be good enough for it. Your guilt and the pain of your past and the sin of your past hovers over you. It's in your rearview mirror all the time. But with the wisdom of God that centers in the cross, that's theistic, it says I'm going to have your sin paid for in full so that you can be fully and wholly and completely forgiven forever. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me, don't you, don't you think? Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Listen, you've messed up really bad. Your life is in a real mess. Listen to what he says. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Wow. By way of the wisdom of the cross, by way of the wisdom of God that's theistic in its center, the message of the cross is at the heart of the wisdom of God, is this promise. The promise is, I'll take your sins away from you and never remember them against you. You don't have to live with the guilt. You don't have to be that old person. I'll make you a new person in Christ Jesus. Uh, think about it this way. Let me, let me put it in practical terms. Let's suppose for a moment that one of your children comes in or your grandchildren comes in and one of their hands is filthy dirty. Let's just say, let's just say that they've been playing in the, in the flower beds. What kid would play in the flower beds? But you know what I'm talking about. Let's just say they're playing in the flower beds. They got, they got, uh, 
the peat moss or topsoil under the fingernails and their hands are dusty and they got that old black dirt sort of rubbed into their hands and they come into the house and you see that child with that dirty hand. Now, you know, that child can do one of three things. That child can simply ignore his hand. I'm just not going to pay any attention to it. I'm not going to acknowledge that my hand is even dirty. I'm just going to act as if it's not there. Now, everybody else sees that it's there. Everybody else knows that it's there. Mother knows that it's there. She saw you come in with a dirty hand. But you're just going to play like it's no, it's no big deal. You're just going to play like it's not really a dirty hand. That's, that's really not a very good option, is it? The, the second thing you can do is you can put your hand in your pocket and you can hide it. Well, nobody will see it. Now, I'll know that my hand is guilty, is, is dirty, and my mother may know that my hand is dirty, but nobody else will know my hand's dirty. Daddy, when he comes home, he won't know my hand's dirty. Granddad won't know my hand's dirty. My brothers and sisters won't know my hand's dirty. I'll just keep my hand in my pocket. Maybe you can do that, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Doesn't seem real logical to me. There's a third thing that you can do. You could come in with that dirty hand and you could go find a sink and some water and some soap and you could wash that hand and then your hands would be what? Clean. Now, a lot of people are like that. They know that they're sinners. They know that they fall short. They know they have things in their lives that ought not to be there. They know that they aren't all that they should be. They know that. And in the process, they're simply trying to ignore it. Ah, well, I know it's there, but I'm just not going to pay any attention to it. Not a really wise thing to do. There's other people that are trying to hide those sins. They're trying to hide the evil that they've, they've done or trying to hide the emotions and the thoughts that have gone on in their hearts and their lives. And they're just trying to keep it out of view. Maybe nobody else will know this about me. But then there are those who understand that there's another way. And that's the wisdom of God. It's theistic-centered. It's centered in the message of the cross. And that is that you can come to Jesus Christ, and in coming to Jesus Christ, you don't have to hide your guilt. You don't have to ignore your guilt. You can have your guilt washed away and taken from you forever. Now, do you see the contrast between the two? Over here, you have the wisdom of the world as humanistic-centered. Uh, it's, it's based on what we think of as, as human logic. Well, I work for everything I get, so I guess if I'm going to get into heaven, I'm going to have a life after this life. If there is a God, I'm going to spend that life with God. I've got to earn it. But in the process of earning it, you can never do anything with your sins. You can never do anything with your past. They're always in your rearview mirror. It's always a cloud that hovers over you. There's guilt that goes with you everywhere. But in the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of God that's theistic-centered, you come to Jesus and you put yourself, your, your confidence and your trust in Jesus. And the one who paid the penalty for your sins makes you brand new and erases your sin forever. Now, I don't know which sounds better to you. I know which sounds better to me. But think about it for a moment. Which sounds better? It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I mean, when you know that there is a means by which people can have their sins erased forever, you don't want to be quiet about it. You want everybody to know that you don't have to live locked into this system uh, that's the wisdom of man, that's, that's humanistic, that's based on what you think is logical. i got to earn it that never does anything with your sin except leave it there and leave you what you were and what you will always be when there is a cross.
the wisdom of God is theistic centered. It's centered around the message of the cross that says, I'll take your sin away forever and I'll make you brand new. We used to sing a song and we still do on occasion. It says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we see a contrast between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. Between what's humanistic and what's theistic. Between what's self-effort and what God has done for us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take it another step. There, There is secondly the wisdom of the cross that eliminates for us rigorous performance. The wisdom of the cross erases sin forever, and the wisdom of the cross eliminates rigorous performance. Now think about, about it. Over here in the wisdom of, of man that's, that's humanistic, it says you've got to earn it. You've got to be good enough for it. You've got to outwork, outwork your bad deeds. You've got to tip the scale in your favor that can never take away your sins. you, you just got to do enough good so that maybe God will see it and God will let you in on that basis. Not only does that not deal with your sins, but the reality is it locks you into a system of rigorous performance. You say, say, what do you mean by that? Well, you've got to ask some other questions. We're over here on this side. Are y'all with me? We're over here on this side. The wisdom of man, it's humanistic. You've got to to ask some additional questions, and here they are. What kind of things do I have to do to earn my forgiveness? How long do I have to do these things before I'm forgiven? And when will I know if I've done enough of these things to be forgiven? And what if the things I've done still aren't enough to gain my forgiveness? And the end result is you have this long list of questions that you've got to start asking. Am I doing the right things? Am I going to be able to do it long enough? And what happens if I get to the end and I wasn't doing the right things and I hadn't been doing it long enough? There are no do-overs. You're just sort of left with, with no hope. It locks you into a system of rigorous performance. It says you've got to be good enough, but it doesn't tell you what you have to do or how long you have to do it, and it doesn't tell you when you've done enough. So you live the rest of your life in this system. You live the rest of your life with no peace because you don't know. Until you get to the end, you won't know. There's no way for you to know. There's no way for you to know until you get to the end. And maybe, maybe at the end... Maybe if I've done enough of the right kinds of things long enough, God might in some way allow me to be a part. Doesn't sound very favorable, does it? We think that's the most logical approach, but it's not. Because the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of God that is theistic, that centers in the message of the cross, does something for us that the wisdom of man can never do. It eliminates rigorous performance. It's not about what you do. Hear these words. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has already done. It's not about what you do. It is about what Christ has already done. As He hung on the cross, the only sinless one to ever live, the one born of the Virgin Mary, who lived in total obedience to the law of God, the only one who could do that because He was the Son of God who was nailed to that cross, took upon himself the punishment of our sins and the wrath of God against mankind's sin was executed on his son, a righteous 
God, I say this so many times, I think sometimes people just don't pay attention anymore. A righteous God cannot overlook sin. A just God cannot overlook sin. He has to deal with it or he's not righteous or he's not just. So he chose out of love for mankind to deal with it in his own son, the Lord Jesus. And in those moments hanging on that cross, Jesus took the separation from God and the penalty for our sins that we all rightfully deserve. So that it wasn't about what we have to do, it's about what He has already done. It's not a rigorous performance. Over here, you got to perform. you got to keep performing. You don't know how long you got to perform. You don't even know if you're performing the right things, but you just got to keep performing. There is no peace over here on this side. You don't know till you get to the end whether you've done enough, and when you get to the end and find out you haven't done enough, there's no do-overs. It's just too late. It's too bad. There's no hope for you. On this side... It's not about what you do, it's about what he's done. And you come to Jesus, and Jesus erases your sin forever, and he releases you from that rigorous performance. You mean, I don't have to live a righteous life? I didn't say that. But it's altogether a different motivation. I don't live for God today because I'm hoping to earn his favor and get entrance into heaven. I live for God today because I am so grateful And I am so thankful that he has taken my sins away and made me a new creation in Christ Jesus that all I can do is serve him to the best of my ability till I see him face to face and to serve him out of the joy of my heart for what he's done for me. And that's the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, between what's humanistic and what's uh, theistic between what has the best efforts of man at its heart and what has the message of the cross at its heart. Did you know that keeping New Year's promises is really hard to do? I know that because I made some this year. And I did the year before and the year before and the year before. And I found out that they're not really very easy to keep. Very few people keep their commitments for New Year's resolutions. I don't want to discourage you or anything. One study said that half of the resolutions are abandoned within a month. I didn't take me that long. (laughs) Half of the resolutions are abandoned within a month, and roughly 80% of the respondents failed to keep their resolve for a year let alone two years or three years or five years or 10 years or 20 years, they didn't even keep it a year. And most didn't make it out of the first month. One person in the newspaper said, resolutions are like rules. They're just made to be broken. You know why New Year's resolutions are so hard? Because it locks us into this matter of performance. It locks us into this matter of rigorous performance. And when we get tired and when we get weary... We just don't want to go on anymore. We, we want that chocolate cake that we promised we would never eat for the rest of the 365 days that remain. Right? We all understand that when you make a commitment to do something, even if that something is good, how hard it is to keep doing what's good. It becomes rigorous performance. 
becomes a matter where you can never have peace. You can never have joy. You never know if you're doing the right things. You never know if you're doing enough of the right things. You won't know till the day you die when you stand before God. And the reality is when you stand then, there is no do-over. It's too late. If you didn't do the right things and do enough of the right things, sorry. The wisdom of the cross that's theistic, it's at the center. The message of the cross says, listen, you come and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he takes your sins away forever. And he removes the rigorous performance so that now that you living for Jesus isn't a matter of hoping to earn his favor and be granted a place in heaven, but now you're living so that you can please him and honor him and thank him for what he has done for you. There's a vast distinction between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God, between humanism, what is humanistic and what is theistic. There's a, there's a vast difference between those two. But I, I can't finish this point without giving you some bad news. Even if you're going to accept this logical position, what you think is a logical position, I mean, it's the way we live. You, you get a paycheck at the end of the week, you work for what you get. Nothing's free in this world, Right? If somebody says it's free, don't trust them. And so we, we grow up with this whole thinking, this whole system in our minds and in our hearts. We've got to be good enough. 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 And we keep working out this system. Here's, here's the problem. Here, here's a, a little, little problem you need to stop and consider. Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 3 that no one does good. Not even one. Jeremiah said that our works, our works are like filthy rags. You say, why? Because even when we're over here doing what we think is good, there is always an admixture of evil mixed into whatever good we think we're doing. It's one of the reasons when we do something good, we get a picture of it and put it on social media. Now, not always, but it's one of the reasons. You know why? Because I did something good and I want everybody else to see it. And suddenly your good is tainted by something not so good. And now you're adding to the other side of the scale at the same time you think you're adding to the good side of the scale. You're just balancing it out at the best. I mean, balancing out the, the two sides at best. That's, that's all you're doing. Because the reality is there is none righteous. No, not one. There is no one who can be good enough in their works. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 mean. For by grace, for by grace, that's unmerited, undeserved favor. That's over here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, the gift of God. And listen to the next three words. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Because God knows that at our very best, we're still going to come up short. There's still going to be an admixture of evil within us. There's still going to be an admixture of selfishness within us. That we can't really do anything that's totally and wholly unselfish. Because we are by nature selfish people. Hmm. You know, when I stop and think about it, I'm beginning to think that wisdom of the cross is a whole lot better than the wisdom of man. That the wisdom of man that is humanistic, 
that's based on your own self-effort, working as good as you can, as much as you can, as long as you can, and hope when you can get to the end that God's somehow going to let you in. That Really, there's not a whole lot of hope in that at all, but over here in the wisdom of the cross that's theistic, where the message of the cross is at the center, the wisdom of God, where the message of the cross is at the center, it takes away my sins forever, and it releases me from this rigorous performance so that I can be accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus has done for me rather than on the basis of what I can do. There's a third thing. You want to write it down. You want to write it down. The wisdom of the cross not only erases sin forever and not only eliminates rigorous performance, but the wisdom of God encompasses every person. Nobody's left out. Now, I know over here, a lot of people think nobody's left out. The wisdom of man that's humanistic, that's filled with self-effort, doing good as long as you can to outweigh the bad that you've done, and hopefully at the end you've done the right things long enough to be able to have God say, you know what, I'm going to let you into heaven, when the reality is even the good things you think you're doing aren't as good as you think they are. Are you all with me, young? Do you realize that on this side, over here, this humanistic side, this wisdom of man side, do you realize that there's a whole bunch of people that are left out? We're in a world today where everybody's supposed to be a part. Nobody's supposed to be left out. Do you realize your system, your so-called system of salvation leaves an entire body of people out? Take, for instance, the most despicable of, commu- of the community. How will they ever outwork their bad deeds? How will they ever overcome the evil that they have done. Can I remind you that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, two despicable people? And for a little while, both of those thieves railed on Jesus, but there was a change in one of those thieves. He recognized that Christ is who he says he is, and he cried out to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What was the next words of Jesus? Jesus said today, you'll be with me in paradise. Guess what? This man on this side over here, if he had followed the wisdom of man that's humanistic in its very core, where you've got to be good enough, you've got to work long enough, you've got to do enough, the man on the cross could never have been included. And even if he could have done some good works, he wouldn't have had but a few minutes to do them. But that man in the final moments of his life, through the wisdom of God that is theistic, where the message of the cross is at the center, it's not about what you do, but it's about what Christ has already done for you, and resting in Christ, that your sins are erased, you're removed from this rigorous performance. Nobody is left out over here, the most despicable of society, who turns to Jesus can be forgiven. Several years ago, I was invited by a family that had been praying for their grandfather. He was 90 years, a little over 90 years of age. And they, they had been praying for him. They had been talking to him about the gospel and been talking to him about Jesus. And they desperately, they knew he didn't have many years left. I mean, if you're 90, a little over 90, you don't, you don't have many years left, right? You don't have a lot of years left. I mean, if you make it to 110, that's great. But I mean, still, compared to what's behind, you don't have a lot of time left. 
And so they, they were deeply burdened for, for their grandfather. He lived out of town. He was coming into town. He came into town. They said, Pastor, would you come and let us introduce you to him? And, and would you talk to him about the gospel? We've talked to him about the gospel. We want him to be saved. We're concerned for his eternal destiny. Would you come talk to him? I was glad to do that. I came to their house and spent a few minutes talking with them. By the way, I love talking to people that are that age because they have so much information and knowledge. Can you imagine what you've seen in 90 years? All the changes, all the innovations. Well, not all of it's good, I suppose, but can you imagine what all they've seen in 90 years? We sat and talked for a little while. He had been a professor uh, at a college, and we talked for a little while, and we just had just a general conversation. I was pulling things out of him. I came to a place, and I turned the conversation. I said, can I talk to you about something that's really important to me? And I shared the gospel with him. I didn't do this. The Lord did this. The Lord opened his heart. And in those moments, as the Lord opened his heart, I came to the conclusion of the presentation. I said, would you be willing to receive Christ as your Savior right now? And that 90-plus-year-old former professor bowed his head with me, and he received the Lord Jesus Christ into his life. Within about four years, he was already he was gone. He was gone into heaven. But he went into heaven knowing that he had a place reserved for him in heaven. Do you understand at 90 years of age, if he had three or four years, he didn't have enough time to outwork his bad deeds. He didn't have enough time. He would have been completely left out. The wisdom of man that is humanistic, it's based on your own self-effort. Hopefully you're doing the right things, enough of the right things, long enough that you're doing the right things, and then maybe, maybe at the end, maybe, because you don't get a do-over. This man came to understand that what Jesus had done for him was the answer. And he came and he had his sins removed from him. He was released from any kind of rigorous performance that he could never have done anyway. And he was included in the message of the gospel. Do you hear me? The message of the gospel does not exclude anyone. The message of the cross does not exclude anyone. It's the message of man's wisdom that excludes. It's the message of God's wisdom wisdom that includes. There's, there's one more that I want to give you. Are you ready? The wisdom of the cross not only erases our sins and eliminates rigorous performance, the wisdom of the cross encompasses every person, but the wisdom of the cross as well encourages heavenward praise. It encourages heavenward praise. Now, if you're over here in the wisdom of man that's humanistic, your self-effort, can you imagine what eternity would be like if there was one? What it would be like? Can you imagine? Let me just play act it here for a moment. I'm over here on this system, and I've been a really bad person, but I've outworked my bad deeds. And I finally get, and God says, get, to, get to before God, and God says, you know what, I'm gonna, you, you, you're, you've, tr- you've done a lot of good things. You've, you've really tried hard. I'm going to let you in. And then I'm going to walk around heaven saying, <laughs> bet you couldn't do what I did. Bet you couldn't do what I did. <laughs> bet you couldn't do what I did. Bet you couldn't do what I did. Of course, then there's the other side. There's the person who thinks he or she isn't all that bad, doesn't have to do a whole lot of things in order to be able to earn the favor of God. Can you imagine? You get to heaven, God says, you know what, you, you, didn't, you, know, you didn't have to do a whole lot of things, but you did enough. God lets them in. Can you imagine that person? 
I didn't do anything like that guy did. Look what he had to do. I didn't have to do that. Can you imagine living in a place like that? Where everybody's saying, look at me, look how much I've done, or look how little I had to do. Can you imagine living in a place like that? Hey, you already live in that place. You already live in that place. Let me tell you what the wisdom of God, which is theistic, which has the message of the cross at the center. Let me tell you what it does. When we get to heaven, we walk into heaven and none of us say, look at me. All of us say, look at him. He is the one who made this possible. Do you realize that for the rest of eternity, those of us who believe over here, the rest of eternity is not going to be about praising you or me. It's going to be about praising Jesus for the rest of eternity. And that sounds like a pretty good, that sounds like an incredibly good place to be. Not just pretty good, that's an incredibly good place to be. Hey, I would never have gotten there apart from Jesus. You see, I, I know, I know, it sounds so logical. This is how we live our lives over here. This is why I go to work every day. I get a paycheck at the end of the week, every couple of weeks. You know, once a month, I get a bonus at the end, but I earned all this stuff. I earned my house. That's mine. I earned my house. I, I, I earned my car. I paid for my car. These clothes on my back, I earned that money. Nothing free in this world. Anything we get, we got to earn. Well, that means that you're going to have to live with your sins in your rearview mirror, like a cloud hovering over you. The guilt of it never goes away. It means for the rest of your life, you're locked into a rigorous system of performance, and you will never know if you've done the right things, that you've done the right things long enough. And when you get to the end, if you didn't do the right things and you didn't do it long enough, sorry, there is no do-over. And this system leaves a whole bunch of people out. A whole bunch of people out. They either don't have enough time or the things they've done, they could never, humanly speaking, ever outwork them. And if they could outwork them when they got to heaven, they'd walk around saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. I got enough of that here. I'm not looking forward to that over there. Over here in the wisdom of God that is theistic, where the message of the cross is at, at, at the heart, at the center, it says, you come to Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus. Here's what happens. Your sins are gone forever. God will never bring up your sins against you again. It means you're released from all of that rigorous performance, whether it's moral, ethical, or religious. You're released from all of that rigorous performance, trying to earn the favor of God. Yes, I want to serve the Lord, but it's out of joy. It's out of thankfulness. It's out of gratefulness. But even when I fail, He doesn't turn me out. And it leaves nobody out. Nobody's excluded. And when we get to heaven... He made it all possible. I don't know about you. By the way, that's four of eight of the distinctions just in the one realm about salvation between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. 
what's humanistic and what's theistic, what has self-effort at the heart of it, and what has the cross, the message of the cross at the heart of it. That, that's just a little taste of the distinction between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. I don't know about you, but I choose the grace of God as my only hope of eternity with God. And I totally, absolutely, unequivocally reject any thought, any thought of self-effort gaining me a right standing with God or entrance into His presence. The only hope I have is Jesus. I have I have no other hope. No other hope. Now think about it for a moment. We're finished. Think about it. Does, does this sound logical to you? If it does, get with it. Hey, get with it. I mean, get with it. You don't have any time to waste. I mean, I don't know when your death is coming, but when it comes, if you hadn't outworked your bad deeds, hadn't done enough good for God to say, you know what, I think I'm going to let you in on the basis of the good things you've done. You, you better get with it. You don't have much time. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm trying to tell you that if that's what you believe, that's where you got to go. That's how you got to do. You got to get with it. But friends, if you understand today that the wisdom of God that is theistic, centered on the message of the cross is the only way that makes a whole lot more sense because it's not about what you do, but it's about what he has already done, then I'm asking you, tell me where it was that you received Christ as your Savior and you put your trust in what Jesus has done. Hey, there are no gates of heaven like I'm talking about, but you see, hear people tell these stories about when I get to heaven, you know, Peter's going to meet me at the gate, and I'm going to have to... Hey, there are no gates like that in the sense that I'm, I'm talking about them. But if there were, when I get to heaven, and somebody asks me, they say, David, uh, on what basis should I allow you into heaven? I got one answer. Jesus. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior. I, I think personally, I'm just my recommendation to you, I'm not here to force you to do something you don't want to do. I just think the wisest thing for you to do today is to say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, make me your child. 